The last three years in Canada have been marked with loss after loss regarding the protection of the rights and freedoms of Canadians. This includes COVID, free speech, and even religious conscience issues. It appears that what we have in Canada is a full-blown leftist injustice system, and there's no quick and easy solution. We interviewed John Carpe from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms to discuss these matters in light of the recent Supreme Court of Canada decision not to hear charter challenges from several churches that were charged and fined for meeting to worship when it was in violation of COVID mandates to do so. We'll also examine the political donations of judges in Canada and, spoiler alert, I'm seeing lots of red. Finally, We'll examine the recent findings of a military committee regarding COVID jab mandates for military personnel and what we can expect to hear in relation to many soldiers taking legal action. Considering our injustice system, it's tempting to believe that the only answers are things such as fleeing the country, armed revolution, or some kind of violent civil war. I do not believe those are the answers. Well, then what are they? Well, you'll have to watch the entire episode to figure out that. It's August 15th. I'm Andrew DiBartolo. That's Matt Halleck. And this is Liberty Dispatch. Hey, hey, and welcome back to Liberty Dispatch, broadcasting across enemy lines into the Canadian culture war. As always, our shows are produced in partnership with Liberty Coalition Canada and A Christian Week. LCC exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness and to defend those who stand. And Christian Week exists to provide a practical balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. All of our content can be found over at the FLF Network, flfnetwork.com. We would suggest you go over there or get their handy app, which you can get at the Google Play or the Apple App Store. That way you can get us on demand, although not in demand, um, uh, uh, from that uh, store. So we appreciate you going over there and checking that out. Um, Also, all things Liberty Coalition Canada are over at our website, uh, libertycoalitioncanada.com go over there check it out and please sign up for our email list subscribe to that so you can get our content directly from us we have a lot of stuff that we do through that email list so stay up to date with us and if you do appreciate the work that we do especially here on the podcast and our various programming we would ask that you would go over to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash donate that you would leave a donation over there that if you want to support the programming which we would encourage you to do that you'd click the analysis and show box and leave a donation that is tax deductible that goes to Christian Week. If you're sending us um, e-transfers or cash uh, directly, uh, we can also, if you just make that out to Christian Week, that would also be wonderful. Also, again, I want to highlight there is a new feature. If you go over to our website, you will find that you can make a donation anonymously through Bitcoin on our website. Our friends over at Bull Bitcoin helped us establish that. So we're so appreciative of them. Also, if you do want to see your advertising either read or viewed on our programming that goes out to thousands and thousands of Canadians and Americans as well, each and every week, 
please partner with us in advertising. Go over to advertising at christianweek.org. Reach out to us there. We would love to partner with you in advertising. So, Andrew, with all that out of the way, we have a mailbag question, as always, at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. What's the question for today? So, so before that, just a few quick 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 housekeeping things the first one is we really really want to make sure that you subscribe and sign up for all of our things directly i was just on our facebook page earlier and when you scroll through our facebook page most of our content is there Mm -hmm. however some of our content including links to our rumble videos so not just links of other news stories but Mm -hmm. links to our rumble videos on certain parts of our page say this content isn't available in Canada right now. Mm-hmm. So if you have been relying on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram in order to see the links to our episodes, mm-hmm. you need to abandon that train altogether. Exactly. So when you head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com, sign up for our email list. You will get links directly to our shows, both audio and video. And then make sure you subscribe to our Rumble channel and and you'll get the updates there as well and you know go to the flf network get the app you can get our show there or if you have other podcast catchers spotify podbean you have to make sure you subscribe directly to our stuff because you may not be able to get it via social media anymore and in that vein again we'd ask you to really consider supporting the work that we do here because part of what we need to do is build a strong infrastructure in adding shows and content and a way for you to get the stuff that we produce and you don't have to worry about middlemen because our friends at FLF, for example, if you follow them, you'll know that Vimeo has canceled them. So Vimeo, all of their exclusive member content for the Cross Politics show, it was produced through it was through Vimeo kind of exclusively behind the paywall. Mm-hmm. And Vimeo just decided to cancel them all of a sudden. Goodbye. And so all of their exclusive membership was unavailable to club members. So if, if we want to get you content and you want to see it and hear it, it means that we need to build the kind of systems and infrastructure where we do not rely on other sites and third-party platforms. So subscribe to all of our stuff. Please consider donating to us. That would be greatly appreciated. By way of mailbag question, I'm curious to know, because I'm not in the whole country, I'm not omnipresent. Generally speaking, my <laughs> knowledge of what's happening legislatively and legally is in Ontario, although I pay close attention to what's happening in other parts of the country. But in light of the episode today, what I would like to hear is if there has been a particular legal victory regarding COVID stuff in the last three years, send us a link to it or send us information, mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. Mm-hmm. And I want to add this caveat. What I'm not looking for are drop charges because those technically aren't legal wins. That's just it never happened. What I'm wondering is a church, a person, a business owner goes to court, goes to trial, and the judge or the jury finds that they indeed are innocent. And it is a win, not just charges dropped or dismissed, mm-hmm. but a win, an altogether win. If you have any evidence of those in anywhere in the country, please send them to us, mailbag at libertycoalitioncanada.com. We would love to review those for you. Mm-hmm. Now, I bet I bet you're growing more and more frustrated and concerned with the fiat money system here in Canada. I'm sure you're hoping for real options, a solution that works for you and values your liberty and security. Well, 
Barter It is here for you. It's a modern barter economy for freedom-loving Canadians to transact and exchange value without having to use fiat currency. Imagine Facebook Marketplace, Kijiji, and eBay all wrapped into one economic ecosystem. You offer your goods and services in exchange for bits credits, and you can use those bits to acquire other goods and services in the community. It's a parallel economy. Head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com slash barter and click on barter it for individuals. That's going to be the box on the left. Make sure you sign up as a VIP before the official launch and you will get a lifetime subscription, free premium listings, and 1,000 bits to spend in the system. That is $1,500 worth of value for $197. LibertyCoalitionCanada.com slash barter and join the barter community today. So as we launch our episode today, we are pleased to spend some time chatting with our friend John Carpe over at the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, friends, there have been some happenings in Canada's judicial realm, and we wanted to talk about it because it directly relates to churches, their rights and their freedoms, and their meeting and how they operated during the COVID lockdowns. And so we wanted to bring on John Carpe from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, who has represented the organization has represented several of these pastors and these churches. And we want to talk about the recent decision from the Supreme Court to not hear various charter challenges. Uh, John was born in the Netherlands. He grew up in B.C. He earned his B.A. in political science at Laval University in Quebec City and his LLB from the University of Calgary. John has served the Canadian Taxpayers Federation as Alberta director from 2001 to 2005. As the founder and president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, John's devoted his legal career to defending constitutional freedoms through litigation and education. In 2010, John received the Pyramid Award for Ideas and Public Policy in recognition of his work in constitutional advocacy and his successes in building up and managing a nonprofit organization to defend citizens' freedoms, and they have been most effective at that as well. John, thank you so much for joining us on The Dispatch. Glad to be with you. Good to meet you. So we've been, uh, we've been sharing on social media. We have been uh, telling people, Mike interviewed Jacob Braum, had a lengthy interview with him last week regarding the recent Supreme Court of Canada decision to not hear several charter challenges that have worked their way up to the Supreme Court for churches that have been found either in contempt of court or in violating various provincial health regulations during the COVID era. So maybe you can kind of update our audience a little bit. And for anyone who may not be aware, for anyone who might have heard a little bit here and there, can you tell our audience the latest regarding the Supreme Court of Canada decision and kind of what they've decided and what they've chosen not to hear or not to kind of see in court. Definitely. So it is disappointing that these uh, churches in, um, in Ontario and then other cases emerging from British Columbia, uh, it's disappointing the Supreme Court's not hearing those cases. However, 
should not read too much into that because the Supreme Court refuses to hear approximately 90% or 85%, 80%, 85%. The vast majority of cases that are brought to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court will not hear because its resources are limited and you know everybody wants their case to be brought up to the Supreme Court. What the Supreme Court looks at when they decide to hear a case or, or not hear a case is not so much the the facts or you know whether there's an egregious injustice there, yes or no. They're looking at what is the legal issue that is being raised and is that something that is of national importance and needs clarification. So, you know, refusal does not necessarily mean that your case lacks merit or that your appeal lacks merit. It just means that the Supreme Court felt that the the legal issue that you're raising is not sufficiently important. So that's kind of a background. So that's interesting because given obviously the political controversy that has swelled over these lockdowns, it's interesting that the Supreme Court in this case would would judge you know, cases that are directly challenging the legal authority of the government to do what they did against churches and places of worship, um, how that wouldn't be of national importance and relevance. Do you, can you kind of explain that justification to us? Is there anything that more that goes into it than just what you've kind of laid out there? Well, let me take the, uh, the Elmer Church of God, for example. So that was led by Henry Hildebrand. They started getting into conflict with the government around December of 2020 because they were doing drive-in church services, whereby the members of the congregation would stay in their car. Uh, they would allow, uh, the church would have five people go in to the church to lead the worship service. That was legal uh, at the time to have five people indoors. And uh, this was running smoothly until some neighbors saw a bunch of cars on the parking lot and assumed incorrectly that there's a whole bunch of people inside the church. And so the, the police got involved and they were threatened with um, $100,000 fines and one year jail terms. Uh, although when we filed a court action, the government did uh, back down and they expressly allowed drive-in church services. So that was a success. Uh, however, uh, over the course of the next two years, there were other um, skirmishes, battles with the government over non-compliance with these uh, utterly unscientific COVID rules and regulations. And so um, the, the church there ended up uh, not succeeding in the Ontario Superior Court, not succeeding in the Ontario Court of Appeal. And then the, the reason the appeal brought to the Supreme Court of Canada was a misapprehension of the evidence and the Supreme Court felt that that was, you know, not sufficiently strong to be a, a legal doctrine of national importance. Mm. Gotcha. So this is this we would assume that this then would be the same thinking with both Church of God and Trinity Bible Chapel and also the churches in BC. Now were both of them so I guess were there were there charter challenges the same were they making essentially the same kinds of arguments in terms of their rights being infringed or were there were there any differences in the argumentation in in the challenges brought by these two different groups of churches in the brent smith case in british columbia 
the um, the legal question there was whether the onus should be on the government to prove with persuasive evidence that the COVID regulations were demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society, that they were demonstrably justified violations of charter freedoms. And there's a legal test that's been around since 1986. It's called the Oaks test, O-A-K-E-S, Oaks. And so the uh, BC government argued that the Oaks test should not apply and they should be able to argue this under a different test called the Doré test. Uh, Doré test is a lot easier for the government to win on. It's, it's not as stringent, it's not as strict, it's a little bit vague. And so uh, the issue we put before the Supreme Court in the, um, in the uh, Brent Smith case coming out of BC, uh, and by the way, this is an interesting uh, case in that the these BC churches were entirely willing to comply with the COVID regulations with the, the face masks and the hand sanitizing and the capacity limits and the social distancing. They were willing to comply with all that, but were seeking the right to stay open, uh, just like the liquor stores and cannabis stores and the big box stores and uh, the restaurants and the gyms and the rest of the province was all was 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 open. Uh, but the uh, Bonnie Henry, the chief medical officer, uh, targeted houses of worship, shut them down without without any scientific evidence to, to to back that up. So the BC cases were a little bit different. We were asking for the for a ruling that the Oaks test, the more stringent one, should apply. And the Supreme Court did not say yes or no, but they said we're not going to hear that case. Oh man, that's that's really interesting because to me that what test applies to the limitation clauses obviously to me something of national interest so it is interesting that the supreme court is going to punt this case uh, especially given like i said all the politicization of everything that's gone on over the last three years um is there a political cal this is kind of where i want to ask the question because i think this is a perfect perfect opportunity to do it is there a political calculation that goes into this john um you can't read the hearts obviously of the supreme court but it does seem to me that in canada more and more there is partiality being shown by justices on how they're dealing with the law and obviously uh, even on what cases they deem important to the law uh, in Canada. So do conservatives, do Christians, do the people that you represent with the Justice Center in this legal and juridical context, do we actually have a redress of grievances or are we fighting a really uh, crazy uphill battle? Well, we are fighting a crazy uphill battle. Uh, that's just par for the course. Judges are human and judges have their uh, biases. Um, and the worst and scariest biases are those that people are not even aware of having. And uh, because judges are human, they are also susceptible to the fear mongering that was started in March of 2020 when Dr. Neil Ferguson of, of Imperial College London said that COVID would be as deadly as the Spanish flu of 1918. That's what put people into a state of fear because the Spanish flu of 1918, as, as you know, killed 
tens of millions of people over a period of two years when the world's population was was barely a quarter of, of what it is today. So it was that fear-mongering by, by Neil Ferguson uh, saying that COVID would be an unusually deadly killer. Uh, and of course, it, it's, it's been proven completely false. I mean, if you look at the death stats, uh, uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, you look at the death rate, the number of people dying, and it, it barely fluctuates. That was not the case with the Spanish flu of 1918, when millions of children were left orphans. Uh, this, this virus killed healthy, strong adults in their 20s and 30s and 40s um, in comparison to COVID, which if you're under 70 and in good health, you really have, you know, you should fear COVID as much as you should fear uh, death in a car accident. I mean, the, the, the rates are the same. So what, what has gone on in Canada is that a lot of judges are um, getting all of their information from government-funded media, uh, which is a big propaganda machine. It's not limited to the CBC. Uh, you have other media as well that are government-funded, and they are propagandists for the government's fear-mongering. And so a lot of judges have fallen prey to that. And uh, we've seen rulings in the past two years where judges, they're not looking at the evidence that's been placed before them. And uh, it's obvious that their, their mind is made up already by what they heard last night on the six o'clock news. So that's been a challenging and disappointing phenomena in Canada in the past two years. And the solution is simply to keep on fighting uh, as hard as we can, as best as we can, uh, putting forward the very best evidence so that when a court rules against our side, it's the court that looks bad because we've got we've got the evidence and, and the truth on our side. Now, we talked to our friend of the show, Bruce Party, um, lawyer, uh, wonderful man. Um, and he was saying there's been a change in the legal attitude of the juridical system in Canada in the sense that when you look at Canadian history, judges used to be zealous to fight back the government and push back um, the government infringing on um, individual citizens' charter rights. But how that's kind of changed now um, to, to the point where the opposite is true, that judges across our nation are kind of bending over backwards despite obvious violations of the charter to, to anybody who's just reading it, um, you know, plainly, uh, they're just overzealous in, in showing the government deference. It's always showing the government deference, 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 deference. How do we, as when you, when you say we have to continue to fight back, continue to push back, how do we as concerned Canadian citizens push back in the long term? And by that, I mean, how do we create schools and institutions and get involved in, in legal practices where we can change that attitude in our nation's courts to one that really respects individual rights and freedoms and and rather than showing the government deference at every turn is going to actually apply, you know, the constitution in defending individual citizens rights. Well, part of it is simply for, for people that, that love truth and justice and freedom is to go to law school and get a law degree and become a part of that legal profession because the legal profession 
it's made up of individuals, right, with 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 different viewpoints, and it's it's from the legal profession that ultimately the judges are chosen. The other big thing is to be involved in the democratic process, uh, not only to vote in elections, but also, you know, I, I've often told people. Uh, the you should be on a first name basis with your your federal member of parliament, your you know member of, of provincial parliament, your MPP, or in in Western provinces, member of the, of the legislative assembly, your MLA, your MP or MPP uh, should know you on a first name basis as a thoughtful, polite, uh, informed citizen. And you know people say incorrectly that oh it's futile, it's useless. Well, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, if you declare something to be futile and, and useless, then you know, don't be surprised if it turns out that way. Uh, but we see changes, uh, for example, on the political front. Uh, for example, in Alberta, uh, Jason Kenney was removed as premier by anti-lockdown people that were sick and tired of him violating uh, charter rights and freedoms of the citizens, you know, as well as flip-flopping and and uh, being. Uh, completely, uh, you know, lockdowns are, are wonderful one day and then, then the next day it was, oh, lockdowns are terrible. We're going to get rid of them. Uh, so Jason was removed from office. Jason Kenney was removed from office in Alberta because of citizen activism, because people took out a membership in the United Conservative Party. Uh, and that's another key point. If you are a member of a political party, you have 10 times as much influence over what goes on in your country in your province as your next door neighbor who is not a member of a political party. And the reason is very simple. If you're a member of a political party, you have a say in who becomes the candidate in your local area. So you actually have a say in, in who gets to make it onto the ballot in the first place, as opposed to a voter in an election. You're one of, you know, 100,000 people. Uh, if you're a member of a political party, you're one of 1,000 people or 500 people in a riding that's going to decide who's going to make it onto the ballot. You also have a say in who's going to lead the party and you have a say in party policies. So if you want to exert a greater influence on what goes on in Canada, uh, take out a membership in a provincial party, in a federal party, and you'll have 10 times as much influence as your next door neighbor. Yeah. So, John, help us understand process-wise what happens next. So the Supreme Court has decided... It will not hear these charter challenges, which to me means these groups in these churches that have either been found in contempt of court or in violating some sort of health regulation will now be going to trial to deal with the charges against them. Is there any update or information in terms of timeline? Do we know when this might be or are kind of still waiting to hear when that'll happen? Kind of give our audience an update with the different groups and the different, what I guess are going to be trials that we should be anticipating. I, mean, I don't know how molasses our, our, our court is going to move, but um, yeah, kind of give us, give us a little bit of an update or any, any sense of timeline, what we can be expecting. Okay. Well, the the Justice Center has got close to 200 cases across Canada. Most of those are what you would call the ticket cases where somebody got a $2,000 fine for uh, being present at a peaceful outdoor rally or, you know, they got in trouble for having Christmas dinner with their mother uh, or, you know, it, it's uh, some... 
one or another violation of, of these uh, unscientific COVID regulations. So we are um, we're going to trial in in some cases, uh, but quite often uh, every week we are getting situations where the crown prosecutor for any number of reasons says it's not in the public interest to continue with prosecution. Uh, so we're getting charges withdrawn left, right, and center. Uh, and we also have situations where it's resolved by way of a fine where somebody's, you know, they've got charged with, with uh, 19 counts of different offenses and they're going to plead guilt, you know, and, and they, they're, they're on the hook for, hundred thousand dollars and so we negotiate a settlement where the person might plead guilty to one offense and pay a thousand dollars and you know the other charges are gone so those are just continuing all over canada and uh, uh you know thankfully and i don't want it all i don't want the justice center to get all of the credit uh there's other groups like the democracy fund uh that uh, and and Liberty Coalition Canada, I'm sure as well. Uh, there's other groups as well that are um, helping to bring about those those positive outcomes. Yeah, that's the, that's awesome. Uh, so, just one quick question, and then I want you to tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can stay up to date with uh, what JCCF is doing. Um, in the states, we just saw with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, with the institution under uh, former President uh, Donald Trump of conservative justices during his tenure as president, and that was largely due to um, establishing a list for conservative justices in Canada or in the United States. Is there a Canadian equivalent to that? Not, not that I'm aware of. Um, okay. What 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 Canada needs is something like the Federalist yes. Society, which in the That's... in the U.S. that brought, brought together conservatives and libertarians who believed strongly that the American Constitution should be interpreted according to what it says and and not not be misinterpreted according to a judge's political preferences. Yes, and so in the U.S. you actually have uh, at least five of these originalist justices on the U.S. Supreme Court, and they have a majority. That took uh, decades mm -hmm. of work uh, to uh, to bring that about. Now, what can be done on an interim basis, uh, and this was not certainly not done by the Harper government, uh, the Harper government appointed uh, a lot of judges who have very little sympathy for the charter freedoms of, of conscience, religion, expression, association, peaceful assembly. Mm -hmm. But it's not that hard for a government to do some research and look at the rulings of individual judges on charter issues. Uh, it's a matter of public record. And so uh, in, in Canada, it's actually a lot easier and quicker to appoint pro-freedom judges to the court uh, because you do not have a Senate confirmation process and so even a minority government can appoint good judges to the court and it's not even subjected to a review uh, to a vote in the House of Commons, right? For better or for worse. I'm, I'm, not, mm. yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily a better system. I'm just mm. describing that as the reality. The Canadian Prime Minister, uh, the, the, the governing party in Canada, Prime Minister, Justice Minister, they can appoint, they can, uh, appoint whomever they want. And so... Uh, if there's a freedom-minded government that takes power in Canada, 
it's not that hard. Uh, you know, it's a bit of it's a bit of work. You might have to have your your researchers spend a uh, hundred hours, two hundred hours, five hundred hours pouring through charter decisions of Canadian judges. Uh, but it's not that hard to identify which ones are more sympathetic to charter freedoms and which ones are less sympathetic. Yeah. Okay. So, John, where can where can we send people to follow? what the JCCF is doing, kind of website, social media handles, so that people can not only be up to date with what you're doing, but even support you guys as well. Where where can we send our audience? So our, our website is uh, www.jccf, so Justice Center Constitutional Freedoms, jccf.ca. Uh, we have an email newsletter called Justice Update, and um, I, I always like to tell people we not only is it the most interesting newsletter you could ever read, but we only send it out twice a month. So if you sign up for our free uh, justice update email newsletter, uh, you're not going to get it inundated with with daily messages. But twice a month, on average, you'll get uh, a notice from us with updates on our court cases and activities. Uh, we are also a registered charity, and so we issue official tax receipts for any donations that we receive. Uh, no amount is too great or too small. And um, so sign up at www.jccf.ca, and if you're able to donate, uh, we welcome that. Please do so. And uh, we're going to keep on fighting. Uh, winners never quit, and quitters never win. Uh, it's one of our, uh, it's one of my mottos. So we're just going to persevere because in the end, in the end, uh, truth will vanquish the lie. Uh, freedom will win out over tyranny and justice will win out of, win out over injustice. It, it will happen. Uh, and it's up to us to, to do the hard work in the interim. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, John. It, it was a fascinating conversation. We'll have to have you on. Maybe we can talk about whether originalism is dead in, in Canada and stuff stuff of like uh, legal import and everything next time with you. But it was great hearing uh, the update on these cases and, and getting your legal mind applied to them. So great meeting you and God bless you, sir, in your work there with JCCF. We really appreciate everything you do. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Do you ever get concerned about your financial future? Do you worry if you'll have enough for retirement or if you'll ever be able to buy your first home? Investing can be scary, but what if it didn't have to be this way? What if you had an advisor that was a Christian just like you? Someone that you can openly talk to about your faith, your goals, and your concerns. Rocklink Investment Partners is here to help you navigate financial uncertainties. Email the team over at Rocklink at info at rocklink.com or visit them www.rocklink.com. That's link with a C. Now, Matt, one of the frustrations that you and I have experienced over the last three years is what seems to be an overwhelming number of judges in Canada and how they've decided regarding the rights and freedoms of Canadians in favor with the state, with its unscientific, overreaching, lawless mandates, right? It feels mm -hmm. like we not only have an activist Supreme Court, but it we seems do. like the lower courts, we do, but it feels like the <laughs> lower courts in Canada are also captured by people who seem to be in lockstep with the liberal government. They and are. Whatever the mandates are, they're in favor of it. 
And anytime the charter is infringed, it doesn't matter because Section 1 comes out like a grand, like Section 1 of the charter is basically the wild card. Mm -hmm. And you pull it out and adapt it however you need. And we can basically impinge the rights of Canadians in Canada. Now, what we want to discuss here is not a smoking gun per se. Right? I want to be careful at this this stage because we don't want to commit legitimate slander or libel. So what we're about to say isn't proof of anything ultimately other than the simple fact of itself. However, it's rather curious to see the numbers that we will be looking at. And if I might, what we're going to be discussing makes my tinfoil crown tingle quite aggressively. This comes to us from the National Post, quote, an eight-month investigation by National Post and the Investigative Journalism Foundation of the 1,308 judicial and tribunal appointments by the Liberal government since 2016 shows an overwhelming majority, 76.3% of appointees who had previously made political donations had given to the Liberal Party of Canada. So here's a picture from the National Post article. And if you're looking at that, no, that is not the popular vote. And no, that is not even representative of how different regions vote. Three quarters of judges appointed by Trudeau since 2016 support the Liberal Party financially, which means they probably support the Liberal Party platform which means they also probably support the Liberal Party legislation and mandates. So let's keep that image up there. This is still from the Post. Quote, in comparison to the 76.3% of judges who support the Liberal Party financially through donations, just 22.9% of appointees had given to the Conservative Party of Canada and 17.9% of those who donated gave to the New Democratic Party. Moreover, the number of conservative donors appointed to the judiciary has dropped significantly since the liberals came to power, whereas the number of NDP donors more than doubled between 2016 and 2022, the year the NDP entered an agreement to support the liberals. Now, again, not a smoking gun. It's not like a direct one-to-one, -one, but what we see here is since Trudeau comes to office, way more liberal judges are appointed. And you would think that's fine. The liberals want to appoint their own. Forget the conservatives, forget the NDP, except for the fact that once the NDP says, yeah, we'll prostitute ourselves out for you politically so we get money, then you have the number of judges who support the NDP doubles in terms of appointments. And Matt, as you pointed out before we started recording, those numbers are nowhere near representative of the population. So yeah. clearly, even if we say it's split down the middle 50-50, Right. Mm -hmm. Or 40, 40 conservative, 40 liberal, 20, the rest. Those numbers do not accurate, accurately reflect or represent how Canadians vote and support political parties. So this it smells like a lot of corruption and it smells like a lot of stacking the deck on one side. Yeah, absolutely. What what's evident in just the numbers is the liberal worldview bias of these judges that are being appointed across our nation um, to extraordinarily important uh, seats uh, in, in dealing with in extraordinarily important cases, because what you're seeing there is out of those 
donations, um, an overwhelming majority of them are left-wing, leftist, biased uh, judges who are now sitting on our nation's uh, top court. So that is very important. Uh, now, Andrew, the Trudeau government says that their appointment process is based solely on merit and is not politically motivated. That is obviously nonsense, but this is what they had to say. The, ju- the judicial appointment process is focused on merit, on the needs of courts, and on building a bench that reflects the country it serves. We just looked at the numbers and we saw how that was not the case because 17.9% of the country does not vote NDP and 22% of the country does not vote conservative and 76% of the country does not vote liberal. There's an overwhelming left-wing bias despite what they would say. But anyways... It goes on to say, importantly, an applicant's political donations record is not a factor in the decision to recommend them for judicial appointments, said David Taylor, a spokesman for Arif Virani, the newly appointed justice minister. Conservative MP Rob Moore has also expressed his frustration with how long it has taken for the liberal governments to make said appointments. And there are currently around 80 vacant seats that the federal government has yet to fill. Quote, this is what Moore had to say. Appointing judges is the prime minister's responsibility, but instead of filling the high numbers of vacancies to keep criminals off our streets, Trudeau is holding out Uh, holding out to appoint his liberal insider friends, said Moore. Because Trudeau has failed to appoint judges, dangerous, violent criminals have walked away free because no judges were available to hear their cases more continued. So not only are these appointments buddies of Trudeau's regime and those who are in league with him, but they are also... Uh, the Trudeau regime is also failing to do their job in employing justices to ensure that the legal system actually works the way that it ought to. And all of this is just undergirding this liberal leftist regime that is soft on crime, high on partisan political appointments, and high on giving those who support them and support their Marxist ideology prime place in our society to the detriment of the rights and freedoms of Canadian citizens. And it's high time that we say enough is enough as Canadian citizens and push back against these things. Um, Andrew, the thing that stuck out to me in our last conversation with John Carpe is Canada doesn't really have an equivalent to the Federalist Society in the United States of America. That's something that we need to create as conservatives, as originalists, as Christians who are concerned about proper hermeneutics um, as approaching texts. We need to start that today. And we, these are the institutions. This is how we're going to fight back in the long term. And this is how we're going to push back against all this really just blatant part like partisan political corruption. But notice too, there's not a lot of transparency. It took the new national post, an astonishing eight months of investigative journalism to get to the bottom of political donations for judges 
in in our society. So this is something that uh, you know praise to 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 the National Post for uncovering the story and all the work that went into it. But this is something that if a media that is extraordinarily biased and is taking funds from our government, if they are not willing to put in the eight months of hard work, and if they're not curious enough to do that, they, these are things that the ordinary Canadian oh, citizens no, are not going to see. They are, they are ready to put in the eight months of work because if you remember, Jonathan Montpetit, yeah, yeah. Did, did his his research was at least six to eight months yes. because the story broke the <laughs> story us. broke yeah. at the beginning and of July. Friend. The story broke at the beginning of July, yeah. but him being at the Mission of God conference or this the the Antichrist and his ruin, sorry, the Church at War conference, that was November. Mm -hmm. So this was more than six months. So he'd been doing this work for eight months as well. But that work was important. So the work exposing a group of Christians and churches around the country who yeah. are trying to fight for religious freedoms and see godliness in our laws, mm -hmm. that's a threat, right? So, so Christians and the Ezra Institute, that is a think tank yes it's about establishing a good right biblical worldview right not this massive beast giving billions of dollars right so here you have the ezra institute and christian organizations and pastors that are really trying to not remake canada but reclaim the christian heritage mm -hmm. of canada reform for the good canada. of our nation yeah that's dangerous mm -hmm. but judges who hold tremendous power in our country and the super majority of them are donors and supporters of the liberal. That's 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 mad. The fact that they would not see that as as a, as the real threat to be investigated. So they have the time. They have the resources. They've just decided that Christians who want to see godly laws is mm -hmm. far more dangerous than judges who may have huge conflicts of interest in deciding on cases where they either uphold the mandates of the party they support or the freedoms of Canadians who do not. Mm -hmm. And as, as we've, as we've seen and discussed the overwhelming amount of these decisions are not in favor yeah. of the freedoms of Canadians. Yeah. And we have to understand, you know, maybe we could gloss by it if you, if we weren't listening closely to a conversation that we had with uh, John Carpe, but what he said, you know, the last, you know, um, legislating conservative party that lasted for a while under Harper, despite a lot of people liking Harper, um, a lot of conservatives across the nation liking Harper. The, the fact of the reality is under Stephen Harper and the conservatives, they appointed extraordinarily liberal justices all across the nation. They were not adequately prepared to make sure that their appointees were, you know, actually sharing their worldview. And, you know, <laughs> If we can look back on somebody like Donald Trump and say, well, despite all his bluster and despite all his foibles and everything, what he did for the nation of the United States by appointing three conservative originalist justice, although they've been rather disappointing in some cases, um, that overturned Roe v. Wade and what that means for his legacy and all those things. Well, if we're going to give him kudos for that, we have to, on the flip side, say... 
Well, Stephen Harper was an utterly failed prime minister if we're looking at how he appointed justices across our nation. So why should we be surprised that we're losing case after case after case when for decades now, even under conservative leadership, so-called, in our nation, the same judicial philosophy that is overwhelmingly liberal bias, leftist in its orientation, has been being appointed on the benches across our nation. And we've talked about it over and over and over and over again. The Marxist worldview, this leftist worldview, doesn't even have a basis or a justification for right or wrong or justice. And in fact, the systems of justice, so-called, that they want to set up are indeed systems of rank hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and injustice and partiality. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised as Canadians when we find ourselves in this situation. So what we want to highlight for people, and we'll highlight this in our next story as well, we want to highlight the importance of the justice system in Canada. It's politicized. A lot of people look at the states down south and they look, oh, look at how the judiciary is so politicized in there. It's equally as politicized in Canada. The only reason it's less talked about in our nation is because we don't have a legitimate conservative voice in our culture who's pushing back against the nomination of these Supreme Court justices, these judges that sit on benches across our nation. But I'm here for, (laughs) this might sound controversial, I'm here for making the appointment of justice is more controversial in our country by waking conservatives up to the reality of just what's taking place across our nation. Mm-hmm. I, I have a few more thoughts on this, but I'm going to save it for the end of the episode when we kind of wrap up. Excellent. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail a little bit on what John Carpe said. I think there's some good stuff for us to consider there, but let's, uh, let's keep moving on. Let's, uh, let's continue this discussion. But first, if you feel that big government and banks are too involved in your finances, Bitcoin is the solution for you. Bitcoin is the antithesis of central bank digital currency or CBDCs. It is decentralized digital cash that puts you in full control of your money. With Bitcoin, you don't have to worry about government interference or banks censoring you in any way. As a freedom advocate, you know the importance of individual liberty and responsibility. Bitcoin is the ultimate expression of those values, enabling you to take control of your financial destiny and make transactions that align with your beliefs. So, whether you're an experienced Bitcoiner or just getting started, Bull Bitcoin is the perfect place to buy and sell Bitcoin. And really, for Canadians, it should be the only place that you buy and sell Bitcoin. Sign up today at mission.bullbitcoin.com lcc and don't hesitate to contact their human customer support for any assistance along the way. Mission.bullbitcoin.com slash LCC. As we're talking about issues of legality and the judiciary, we wanted to end our episode with a little bit of a spot of sunshine. A little, little tiny bit. Like a little bit just breaking through the clouds and then some rain clouds kind of come over. But a little bit. Here it is amidst the dreary day that is our broken judiciary, and that relates to military COVID jab mandates. They've been found to be against the charter, according to a military committee, which is a big deal. This comes to us from the Western Standard. 
General Wayne Iyer, chief of the defense staff, said refusals by serving members to follow orders raises questions about your suitability to serve in uniform. He essentially disparaged the integrity of members who served well and loyally, some for decades, while warning them to take the jab or face release. It's dangerous in the military to have legal orders disobeyed. It's a very slippery slope, Iyer told the Canadian press last October. It was General Iyer who originally enforced the jab mandate for military personnel. Well, the Military Grievances External Review Committee determined that the military's vaccine policy was, quote, overly broad and its implementation was, quote, quote, disproportionate when it ruled on three of 157 grievance cases before it. MGERC member Nina Frid wrote that the disputed provisions in the policy were, quote, unconstitutional and therefore invalid and impacted the, quote, livelihood and physical and psychological integrity of the complainants. Specifically, the committee deemed that the policy violated rights, life, liberty, and the security of a person, Section 7 of the Charter protects, and the limitation of these rights weren't in accordance with fundamental justice. That's from the Western Standard. So the question is, Andrew, what happens now? The MGERC recommend that all actions taken against members who refuse the vaccine enforced in late 2021 be rescinded. However, the committee's recommendations and findings are not actually binding. So while this could be a win, it's, it, it needs actual implementation, actual political weight and will behind it. General Irie, the same person who enforced these mandates to begin with, is also the person, guess this, that gets to make the final decision in the grievances. Catherine, Catherine Christensen, a lawyer in St. Albert, has obviously a massive problem with that. The military law expert with Valor Law is representing 330 CAF members in a class action lawsuit seeking hundreds of millions of dollars in damages for lost income, pensions, and promotions. And this is what she had to say. Quote, from this review committee, it goes to the final authority's desk to decide on the grievance. The final authority is General Irie. The same guy that made the orders is the one that gets to decide if he's going to accept the review committee decision, which is part of our lawsuit, said Christensen. Quote, we want to challenge that because the person who made the order should not be making the decision on whether it was a fair order or not. It just seems obvious, but we live in a clown world. The 330 military members involved in Christensen's class action lawsuit aren't the only ones. Quote, I have hundreds more that are about to bring their own claims, she said. The committee's report will likely encourage more military members to take legal action to challenge the CAF, CAF's abuse of power and process. Christensen welcomed the MGERC's findings. 
She, quote, I see this as a very positive thing because it's the first time in Canada that we've had some sort of review of the mandates that says that say it did violate the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. On behalf of my clients, I'm very happy that we have the support in the court of public opinion that we have. It certainly helps. So there's... A, a win, Andrew, but the win is tempered by the fact that the process is rotten to begin with. Mm. That the same one who enforced these orders is the same one who decides whether or not he's going to take this rep mm. recommendation. Um, but it is good to know that obviously it's becoming more obvious that the charter rights of Canadians were clearly um, obfuscated or just downright trampled mm -hmm. during these COVID mandates. And interestingly enough, Andrew, I think it's important for people to realize if this decision is happening at the level of the military, where I think as a as a nation we re we recognize, though conscious rights still obviously exist for those in military service, there's a there's a little bit of more of an expectation placed on members of the military to ensure that they are fit for service. That's not an onus put on the ordinary Canadian citizen. If we can see some wins at this level, that would set a, a helpful precedent in, in uh, Canadian law. But again, there's still some political will. There's still some pushback and accountability that we as ordinary Canadian citizens have to ensure. We have to make sure the general Irie can't just wipe his hands clear, clean of this, that he has to take this uh, recommendation. Like we need to exert our political will, our accountability of these bureaucrats to ensure that he can't just wave the whole thing, sweep it under the, the rug. We have to continue to expose these types of stories, the, the these rotten processes to the light of everyday politics. And that's partly why I think this story is so important to bring up and touch on. And I would agree with Christensen. I think that the growing support in the court of public opinion or the simple fact that you have a committee that's willing to say this, yes. I mean, this would be the equivalent of seeing individual school boards, for example, come out and say, hey, all the mandates upon schools were... Mm -hmm. wrong and they were they were unscientific and they were harmful or a school board saying hey we don't support uh the the, the jab mandates or this would be you know this would be like uh individual denominations right or churches publicly standing up not just not just the you know hundred or so churches in the country that have taken a little bit of a public stand in their defiance but maybe having larger groups or larger denominations come out and saying you know what this this was this was all bad. We don't support this. I mean, that mm -hmm. carries a little bit of weight to it. And so yeah. the fact that you have this at the very least, I mean, any military committee is going to make this decision. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a good sign. You know, you you brought up the degree to which Canadians are accepting or buying it. If you just look at the percentage drop of people who got the jabs, it kind of goes off a cliff after third and fourth shots, mm -hmm. despite the incessant recommendations to get it every six months and at the beginning of flu season. Yeah, and all, all the new variants. The <laughs> it clearly seems to be the case that uh. Canadians, whether or not whether or not Canadians will once again bend and comply when they're forced is yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. 
personally, I think the vast majority will. There might be a, a few outliers in terms of new people. So everyone who didn't comply last time, we might have some more nonconformists this time around. But mm. my position is the by and large Canadians will comply. Mm. Having said that, the fact that less and less of them are seeing the need for the jab, even though they're told it needs to be there for their safety, means that they're not believing it, they're not buying it, and they realize it's not essential, I'll be fine, which mm -hmm. is good. I mean, better that. I would rather, I if I had to choose, if my choice was between a fully deceived and fully compliant populace mm -hmm. as opposed to a more informed but fully compliant populace, I would rather take the people who aren't just going to mm -hmm do whatever they're told all the time because we trust big brother. So yeah, this is yeah. again a spot of sunshine in another rise dreary episode about legal issues and reality of legal issues. I mean, this too is coming off mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the heels of the Supreme court decision not to hear the case. It's also, we didn't, we didn't go into much detail because sentencing hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But uh, Pastor Arthur Pawlowski has also been found guilty for I've inciting mischief and eco-terrorism. Now, he's guilty, and oh, he faced man. the maximum of 10 years in prison. And the reason we were going to talk about it today, but the reason we haven't is because he hasn't received sentencing yet. Mm -hmm. So he was supposed to receive his sentencing on August 9th. Clearly, that hasn't happened. It's the 15th. So once he does, we'll update it. But mm -hmm. that's another bit of ugh, our legal system. It's just like can't. And my understanding, in my understanding, Andrew, you can correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, is those charges are actually linked to um, some of the protests, obviously, around the Freedom Convoy and everything as well. And his role in giving a speech or something to people who are yeah. in blockades. And, I was yeah. reading an article that he has something like 300 tickets or or uh, like little infractions against him yeah. from 2015 to 2021 something like that so even pre-covid um yeah. some of the stuff he's done has gained the uh gained the ire of the authorities in now, calgary Andrew, before you close i just want to give another another piece of good news that might not be as apparent for people on the surface of things. When we were talking to John Carpe, it was interesting to hear him say that he's seeing um, the uh, government uh, lawyers and, and uh, defendants and st st or stuff like that, prosecutors, whatever role they might be on given the case, that they're arguing for the fact that they should not use the RV Oaks test as the standard by which to judge the, the appropriateness of the COVID mandates. And I think implicit in that is the recognition that the government mandates at every level were totally inappropriate and that they based off of that, that Oaks test cannot actually legally defend the usurpation of Canadians charter rights and freedoms under the limitations clause in article one. And I want to show you why that is the case. The RV Oaks test um, is broken down into three um, P 
pieces to understand and justify the proportionality of the government response. Now, the onus notice is on the government to justify their usurpation of Canadians' individual rights. But the the Oaks test lays out these cri- three criterias. They have to have a rational connection. So the um, there needs to be a rational basis for taking the action that the government takes to prevent the thing that they want to prevent, even if it violates charter rights and freedoms. So, I mean, that's pretty easy. That's pretty vague. You can just say, well, there's a horrible pandemic and we were just trying to s- limit the spread. So under that well, they would probably easily pass the first criteria. This is where it gets very, very tricky. Second, that the rights have to be minimally impaired. So that means there has to be, they can't be just flattening these rights, that they can't be doing it for extended periods of times. That minimal impairment is hard to justify when it's not just one right that's being uh, limited for a, a small period of time. But when you start stacking up um, all section of the rights, two, section, and section two, six, six and, and section eight and section 15, yeah. it, it almost becomes impossible to justify the minimal impairment under the Oaks test. Now, third, this is where obviously everybody, and I think even the normies, like you're saying, Andrew, are realizing the government was way over their skiers. Proportionality or final balancing. Well, we know that the lockdowns and the proportionality of them and all the excess deaths, all of those things, all the stuff that we're dealing with after because of these monstrous government policies, they have just blown their credibility on mm-hmm. the, the legitimate proportionality and final balancing of invoking these never before seen lockdowns and mandates. So, There is a win, though it's implicit in that, that the government has to argue under a far less strict, far less Mm -hmm. more, far more vague standard because they know that they, even though, though I hate the limitations clause, I think it's no good, very bad. They can't even meet the criteria, the legal standard that is traditionally been used to justify the invocation of Mm -hmm. that limitations clause. Yeah. And I think that's a win. This is we see this play out by so so people might be thinking well okay Matt let's maybe that's still up in the sky right like bring it down so this this is what this looks like in another example suppose you're having an argument with someone over whether or not it's right to murder a preborn baby and you might be saying okay well let's establish some standards here right stand and, and your argument would go something like this. There's a God who's created all of life and made the universe and he's made human beings in his image, which means they're worthy of value and dignity. Step two, a human being is a human being from the moment of conception, not implantation, but conception, fertilization. That's when unique human life begins. And then all of the things that are due human life, respect and dignity, the right to life and freedoms belong to that person even when they're super super tiny and microscopic and we have a duty to protect that life so you're having a discussion with someone and they push back so i had this happen to me when i was actually at a drag queen story hour protest in peterborough about a year ago where i was having a discussion with an antifa guy there and we were talking on this point and his point was the reason why we have to allow for drag queen story hour and being kind to trannies is because 
you know, we, we know what's right and what's wrong. And I proceeded to ask him, well, how do we know what right and wrong is? Who determines that? And he said, well, we know what's right and wrong because enough time lapses and we're able to look back and reflect or because of scientific discovery. And I said, okay, so that's how we know that Hitler was wrong. And he said, yes, we can look back and reflect on it, see that he was wrong. And we know scientifically his claims of the Jews were also wrong. They're not subhuman, they're human beings. So Hitler was wrong. And then I said, well, then I guess we need to apply that as well to the murder of babies, because we know scientifically that life begins at conception. And we can look back and understand with 3D ultrasounds and sonograms. I mean, we know it's a baby and there's no doubt. To which he replied, well, no, 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 I reject that life begins at conception. So I told him, you can Google any site you want, any even some radical lefty, whatever you want, as long as it's scientific. And sure enough, he pulls out his phone and he starts Googling Time and Nature Science Magazine in Princeton. And what does he find? Lo and behold, that life begins at conception, that at the moment of conception, life begins and the the terms they use, the embryo, the zygote, zygote starts developing. And I said, there you go. So at the earliest stage of human development, it is a human life of conception. Now, once we had decided, once he decided he could no longer argue on that ground, he then decided to step on another ground and say, oh, but it's not a human being. It's a human embryo or a human zygote or a fetus, which are just other words to describe stages of development. And so by by changing his argumentation, by saying, I don't like this position, I need to switch positions, he essentially conceded that he lost, or he conceded that he could no longer argue on this ground, and so he had to change the ground and step in another area. And when that happens, you know that the person is not dealing in good faith, you know that they're not having an honest discussion where they're weighing out truth and facts. It's simply an ideological discussion where they're trying to prove a point and further a narrative and they're not interested in truth when you see the change. And what Matt's talking about is that's the change we see among judges and lawyers Mm -hmm. is they're saying the agreed upon ground in order of determining whether or not the infringing of our rights is justified. Mm -hmm. Once we say, here's the ground, the moment they say, well, we don't like that ground, we're going to stand on other ground. (laughs) Yeah. What they've conceded is that they're not actually arguing from principle and Mm -hmm. that they have essentially lost the argument. So they need to stand in another position and now argue from another point altogether because they don't want to admit they're wrong, which again Mm -hmm. reveals that what we have in the judicial branch of our country is a cult. Is not a yeah, not a principled <laughs> group that's arguing from facts, reason, knowledge, science, and truth, but ideology and narrative. Mm-hmm. And they've conceded that by saying we're going to change positions and argue this from another way because mm-hmm. it doesn't suit our needs. So mm-hmm. you're right, Matt. It's a win in that some light has now shone. And like with the COVID stuff, the more and more we see things for how they are, the better mm-hmm. equipped we are to deal with it. And that's kind of and the more confidence. And yeah. Well, well, I, I don't have much to say, but the more confidence we should have in articulating our, our view, if they have to, if they have to run from the same legal standards that have been mm-hmm. put in in place for their law to justify their insane t- tyranny, then we ought to stand confidently 
on the positions we have taken as Canadian citizens and not mm-hmm. shrink back uh, yep. because because even even conservatives will be like, well, don't be too zealous for your rights. Like, d- don't make too much of a sting. So many Christians. Wow, you're uh, sounding like we'll, the we'll gospel say, coalition candidate well, to me there. Exa- exactly. And big Eva. Um, it's selfish no. to think about your rights. I know yeah. God gave them to you to be, yeah. and he gave the state the mandate to protect them, but how dare you? Yeah, and, and the and the whole motif in scripture from start mm-hmm. to finish is away from slavery and and towards freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're told not to be slaves of any man, um, but, you know, never mind those tasks. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's partly because people don't understand Christ's lordship and the fact that he's not still on the cross, right? Um, he's he's now exalted to the right hand of God um, in, in power and authority and glory. Well, now you're he's, sounding like a theon- theonomist, <laughs> Christian nationalist reconstructionist there, Matt. Yeah, well, sorry. Wow. I, I'm just reading the scriptures. <laughs> Anyways, uh yeah, I think the the point I made, I, I'm glad that you kind of brought it down and showed it brought it out of the clouds and showed how important this is because it's an important point and that should instill confidence in mm-hmm. us that we can we can stand on our rights that that the, the sovereign Lord of the universe has throughout history moved in that same motif, human beings away from slavery to tyranny, which was indicative of almost every state forever and always and towards freedom. And we stand in that tradition where the, the leaven of the gospel has freed men to, live freely in society and we ought to be zealous to uphold that tradition that many of our um, fathers and grandfathers have fought and died for in history so Mm -hmm. i want to instill confidence in our listeners and our viewers that these though they're never going to come out and admit that they were wrong in the way that they should and that we want them that these types of subtle goalpost shifting are indicative of the fact that we are winning and they are implicitly admitting that they are wrong in it. Anyways, yeah. you have advice for us in light of all of what we've talked about. Well, a few on. final thoughts. I think that you're, you're right, that it's good that this light has been shone. It's good that we see it for what it is because we need to be more and more aware of the situation. I mean, we, we, we do not help ourselves if we are deluded about the world in which we live and, and the direction in which it's going. I think if we are unrealistically optimistic or unrealistically pessimistic, we do a disservice. We either do not adequately prepare for the future or on the flip side, we set ourselves up for a kind of disappointment and defeatist attitude. So both of these are wrong. So we need to be realistic. And sometimes being realistic doesn't mean you're doing a happy dance and it doesn't mean you're sulking in the corner in the fetal position crying. It means that you approach the situation with a sobriety and a seriousness about it. And so the situation is this. Our legal system is captured by activists, leftists who are ultimately statists. That's the situation. I mean, it's very difficult not to see that in light of the appointees, in light of the decisions, in light of the way our Supreme Court views our charter as a living tree document. It's 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 clear. Okay, so what do we do about that? 
while I would agree with John Carpe that we continue to fight back legally and we take the wins where we can get them, where we press truth and evidence so that hopefully we will see victories. And even us here at LCC, we've seen a number of smaller victories as well with the work that we've done with James Kitchen and the clients we've represented. So we keep pressing into those areas, absolutely. But maybe it means, as John Carpe said, maybe more and more Canadians do need to think about pressing into these spaces. So we right now are in a time where, as far as we can tell, there's still relative freedom to get training and education in these areas and engage before even that is taken from us. So right now, no one's saying you can't go to law school if you're a Christian. They're well, saying you can't the Trinity Western, uh, so that was... They're, saying you, can't, they're <laughs> saying you can't be a Christian school with a law school, Which... but they're not saying you can't be a Christian and go to law school. So yes, same thing with true. medicine, same thing with other fields. And so maybe not all of us, but maybe there are some of us who are particularly geared and minded toward mm -hmm. law that what we need to do grounded in good churches and communities is we need to send and train these kids armed with a biblical worldview into law school so that they can help fight from the inside. We talked about this with Andre Shooten as well when we interviewed him, the importance of lawyers bringing their Christian worldview to bear in the legal world. Because what we've seen is our lawyers and judges have been indoctrinated in a decades-long education system that is statist and culturally mm -hmm. Marxist. So the, the, the second thing would be this. Please get your kids out of state-funded schools. What are you waiting for? What are you yeah. like? What are you waiting for? Mm -hmm. They are not learning to love truth and justice. They're not learning to love their country. They're not learning to defend the rights and freedoms of Canadians as God has ordained them. They're, they're being taught to hate our country, to hate our freedoms, and ultimately build systems of injustice or social justice. So you need to educate your children in biblical world and life view, whether that's at home, whether that's a homeschool co-op, whether that's a classical Christian school. You must take the education of your children very seriously and get them out of these state systems. It'll only corrupt them. And then some of them who are so geared, maybe they do need to pursue law. But what that means is that you also need a church around you to support. So the church will say, listen, this person's so gifted. You, you need to look at them not as if people are resources, but you need to look at this these people as an investment. And by that, I mean the entire church will look at this young, bright, capable student and say, we're going to support them. We're going to encourage them, pray for them. Maybe we're going to help get them through law school so that why? So that maybe this student can actually be someone who can be a lawyer for our church, representing the people of our church. We'll support them. We'll back them up. That this, It's not wrong to think these ways. It's not wrong to think about training mechanics, doctors, engineers, other people to be a blessing to the church and the Christian community and the world at large. Yes, but the reality is there's nothing wrong with thinking about how we can strengthen our own churches. So it's mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a worldview change for some of us, yeah. I know, but but we need to think about the right training of people and how it is that they can take this right worldview into being trained in various ways and then how that benefits the church and the Christian community mm. in the long run. And the broader civil society. And this is how mm -hmm. I want to close, just a brief comment. One Christian man who took Christian principles and applied them to law that saw centuries 
of massive influence in the British common law tradition. Something you won't learn if you go to public schools, but you might learn if you enroll your kid into classical Christian schools, was one Sir William Blackstone. And his monumental work in the law as a Christian man applying biblical principles to law not only led to um, defending the rights and freedoms of British citizens through the centuries, but it really laid the foundation for kind of a lot of modern or, or not, not modern, but a lot of our kind of British common law tradition mm-hmm. um, in the legal sphere. So that's the type of influence that Christians thinking biblically about law can have on society and the freedoms of individuals in our nation. And that's the beauty of the blessings of God is that they overabound, not only to Christians and their children, but to all those who are surrounded by them. And out of love of neighbor, we ought to, as Christians, get involved in these spaces because we want to love our neighbors as ourselves and love their freedoms as our own so that's why we do the show to talk about these things and to remind you it's for freedom christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery till next time thanks for tuning in to liberty dispatch a united front to restore liberty and justice in canada please subscribe to our podcast and rumble channel as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.